Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. Today, I'm speaking with Carlos Molina. He's a professional diver, conservation instructor, and charter marine engineer and environmentalist. Carlos is the heart of In Oceana, which we'll be talking about today. Carlos changed everything in his life to begin this voyage called In Oceana in Costa Rica. Welcome, Carlos. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Nika. Thank you. I'm in Madrid right now, so thank you for joining in this conversation. I love it. So let's start out by talking about how we got connected, which is a story I love. So somebody that we love dearly, who's been a family member at Urban Remedy, moved to Costa Rica with his family for a year. And let me tell me, Carlos, how did you meet Ben and how did that connection happen? So, well, Ben is an amazing person and is already helping us a lot with the nonprofit. So he joined one of our expeditions in Costa Rica. We organize monthly expeditions that is a way to involve divers into marine conservation. So people come to the South Pacific of Costa Rica and join us to go in an adventure into the tropical forest and into the underwater waters of Osa Peninsula. And that's how we met uh, Ben. He was one participant. And we, I mean, we all fall in love with him and, and he fall in love with the organization. So it was a perfect match. Yeah, it was so funny. So one day, you know, and Ben and I have a really funny relationship. We're always making jokes at each other because, you know, there's been a couple items that I've wanted to launch like ice cream. And he, you know, said, no, Nika, you can't launch it. So we're we're always kidding with each other. And so he, he always sends me funny texts. And then he said, Nika, there's like this amazing, you know, project happening here in Costa Rica. And I feel like there's a lot of synergy between Urban Remedy and In Oceana. And he was telling us how amazing your team is. And so we were really excited to learn more. And I watched your film, the short film that you guys did on the project. And at first I could hardly watch it because it's so hard for me to watch anything having to do with like whales or dolphins, you know, suffering. And so the first part, I'm like, I teared up a little bit, but um, I love what you're doing and, you know, bringing awareness to that issue is so important. So tell us more about In Oceana and how you started it and exactly, you know, what you guys are doing. Well, then I'm going to, I'm going to wait to talk about the documentary and the experience that we have with the humpback whales, but I need to start talking about how all of this started. And yes. it, was in, it was actually in Thailand. So it was at the other side of the world. And uh, in Oceana was like pretty much myself with a bunch of friends uh, that were working in marine conservation in, in an island that is called Kotao. And uh, it was such an adventure. Our first project was about uh, trying to understand what is the water quality of the, of the island in Kotao. And we discovered that because they were using a lot of fertilizers for the agriculture, uh, there was a lot of pollution and there was a lot of eutrophication in the water. So that was kind of the starting point of the organization, the starting project. And since then till now, it has been al- almost five years now. And we are working also in Costa Rica now. We are working in the Canary Islands of Spain. We are working in California. We're a 501c3. So it's, it has been a long way and so many adventures. I love that. I ha- So I had no idea that that's where it started. So tell me more about the water quality and how agriculture affects m- the marine life. I'm so curious. You know, it's interesting because I'm aware, like I'm, I'm really 
passionate about organic and regenerative farming. And so one of the things that we look at is, you know, how spraying things like glyphosate and other pesticides in commercial farms gets into, you know, the water that we drink. But I haven't learned a lot about how it affects marine life and the ocean. So basically, it, it has a lot of connection with the fer- fertilizers. So, you know, fertilizers, we, we use them a lot a lo- across the world to, to try to make the plant to grow faster and, and to have more food. But at the same time, is, there, is, there are some components that they are called nitrates and phosphates. And those components that are part of the fertilizers, when they come into the water, they, they start producing a lot of nutrients for the algae. So they, the algae cra- gets kind of crazy and start growing so fast. And that algae start growing that much that at some point it starts dying. And then there is like this uh, bacteria that starts decomposing the, the algae and start e- eating all of the oxygen in the water. And at the end, it creates these uh, famous uh, death zones. That There is a very famous death zone in the Gulf of Mexico. There's another very famous one in, in the Baltic Sea. So here in Spain, we have, because the agriculture, intensive agriculture in the south, we have the El Mar Menor, that is pretty much dead, and that was a sanctuary for seahorses. So those fertilitants that we were using in the past, and still in some countries, like in Costa Rica, we can find them, are really having an impact in the ocean. Oh, my God. That makes me so sad. I hate to hear that. That is so devastating. What can people do or, or what's happening around that? Are people stopping using the fertilizers, or is there a way to offset the way the fertilizers are flowing into the ocean or what are some examples of how that can be stopped so yeah that's a very good question there are many many ways but of course um i think the the users has a lot of responsibility like we we want to we waste a lot of resources i will start with the wasting i think wasting is is wrong and we sometimes we buy more things that we really need and in every in every sense but talking about food as well and um, sometimes, the, for example, in Costa Rica, the, the pineapple plantations are damaging a lot, not only because the fertilizers, but as well. So maybe um, trying to consume local could be a good start because like I, I am, again, I'm from a country like Spain that we are importing a lot of pineapples from Costa Rica, but the same in the United States and many other areas in the world. So maybe trying to be more conscious about where is the food coming from, that would be a good start. I love that. And we're, I'm a big proponent of eating seasonally and locally, but like realistically, um, you know, when you look at the world and, you know, food deserts and things like that, and, and just economies, you know, most likely, you know, people that don't grow pineapples are, you know, unfortunately always going to want pineapples where they live. So what are ways, what are other ways? I mean, I think that obviously is really important, but to make big changes, like, is it at the government level where things need to stop or need they need to stop using specific fertilizers or what are some other things that need to happen? I would say, I would say so. I would say that there is a lot of responsibility on the government, but in countries, like in, in many countries, the, the fertilizers that has component like such as nitrate or phosphates, they have been banned. But still, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to really control or, or sometimes the government don't put the pressure or the resources needed to really control the agricultures and to see what they are doing. Because if you are an agriculture, like you are a far, like, you know, you are working in agriculture and, and you see your, your profit is going much higher. If you are using fertilizers with nitrates and phosphates, you will keep using it, even if the government uh, is saying that you can't, because you know, at the end, there is not an enforcement law. There is not a really, a really action on making that happening. 
like the industry is not changing. Mm-hmm. And so that would be the, the other yeah. one. It's almost like the, the farmers and the people that are using these things probably need to come to the ocean and see the damage that's being done to see, you know, how their choices are affecting you know, the marine life and the ocean and the animals. Yeah. That might that, that might be one of the things that should happen. That will come because there's come probably the, a lack of awareness. Exactly. That will come to the third step that I was going to say, and I think is the most important. Is about um, educating, and sometimes is is showing to people what's going on. So in Costa Rica, for example, we go through the uh, to the mountains and and we bring some water quality tests to show people. What is the impact of the fertilizer they are, they are using? And some some people, when they understand what's the impact, they they will stop using them because maybe the profit is not as much as a, of a difference. It's very small, and they they will be like, okay, I, I I'm gonna stop using those products. And and we've seen that with our eyes. So we think education and awareness is definitely the final solution. Yeah, I love that because when we see, you know, I mean, obviously everybody needs to make money and feed their family and you know and and live a good life, but you know, when we understand how interconnected we all are from like the, our water and what we eat and, um, you know, sharing the same planet, you know, it's like working together uh, to create harmony. And I feel like we've just been so out of harmony for so many years with big agriculture and big farming and big pharma and all these large companies, we've forgotten the importance of taking care of one of another and taking care of the earth. And it's, um, you know, obviously there's such huge repercussions now. I saw a documentary. I was trying to remember last night what it was called and I couldn't remember many years ago. And it um, was about overfishing and how, you know, we're losing so many fish populations. And you touch on a lot of that in your film. And after I saw that, I I didn't eat a lot of fish anyway, but I completely stopped eating fish after that because I was like, I don't want to be part of, you know, the overfishing and the um, destruction of the ocean. And um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the ocean is super big. I think let's start from there. Like the ocean is massive. And when you are in a boat and you are just traveling to an island or whatever, you understand like like we are so small and the ocean is, we don't know anything about the ocean. But we've been developing new technologies and new new skills and new tools to fish. And that has been having an incredible impact on the ocean. And you can see that like like everywhere in the world, wherever you go, you can buy fish almost everywhere. And there is not really information about where is that, what is that fish, where it's coming from, what is the impact of fishing that fish. And uh, there is an extra impact on all of that. That is like sometimes when we try to over to fish a lot, that sometimes it's overfishing. And this is very similar as the agriculture problem. Like sometimes the fishermen, they don't care about if they lose uh, an, uh, like something they use for fishing. They, that's called like ghost fishing. So those devices go into the ocean and they get lost. Nobody knows about them. And because the ocean is huge, disappears. And then by chance, maybe a, a whale with, with its calf or whatever get, get entangled. And that's how our documentary Entangling Costa Rica actually started. Because we found uh, that there was a humpback whale with, with, with her calf. And they were both entangled in, in a, like two miles of uh, fishing line. Mm. I saw I saw it in your video. I hope everybody watches it. It's it's such a beautiful story. And so that was your impetus for starting in Oceana. Well, that actually happened two years after I started in Oceana. My my real 
well, I was I was working as an engineer in England in the rainy England, so I was living in Birmingham. And one day, I decided to go on holidays to to Thailand, where I met amazing people working in conservation. And then I was I quit my job, and I came back to Thailand to really fo- focus my life on this and started in Oceana. But I think the one of the most in, impactful um, things that I seen in my life it was in Thailand. There was one day after a big uh, hurricane storm. Uh, there was a lot of plastic in the ocean and I saw a, a whale shark in the middle of all of that trash. And it was like looking at the beauty of the whale shark and at the same time looking at all of the trash around it. It was kind of heartbreaking because that was my dream coming through. But my in my dream, there was no plastic. So I think that's how everything yeah. kind of started. Wow, that's a that's an amazing metaphor to witness. That was that's really ugh, it's it's so sad that that's what we've created on our earth. Tell us about what are things that you're doing and your project is doing to change, you know, the system and to help the whales and help clean up the ocean. Uh, one of our main projects that uh, is how we met Ben actually is in Costa Rica and it's called the MCEC, Marine Conservation and Education Center. So our ambition from the beginning of Inoceana, it was to create a kind of places for the community to involve not just the community, but also the tourism. So like everybody who is hearing this uh, podcast, I invite you to, to go to Costa Rica, to Ojo Chal, that is an amazing village in the South. And we have there the MCEC and you can find us and you can participate in marine conservation. So that place for us is our way to create an impact because there is a lot of people coming through every day. Like, I don't know, every month is a hundred of people coming and participating in cleanups, coming to, to monitor the, the coral reef around the areas, coming to, uh, to make underwater cleanups, to monitor the humpback whales, to monitor the dolphins, to monitor the invertebrates, to create 3D models of the coral reef, to test the water quality in the river. So there is a lot of actions that we are taking there, a lot of projects that uh, I don't want to, to make this too technical, but um, at the end, we give the, the opportunity um, for people to get involved in marine conservation. I love that. That is such a brilliant idea because, you know, we're so, especially people, you know, that live in the cities or don't live by the ocean, we're so disconnected from what's happening. And it's, you know, I think anybody that was to see, you know, a baby whale or any whale or a dolphin or any marine life entangled and dying um, because of fishing line or, you know, trash that we've left in the ocean, it's, it's so devastating and heart wrenching to see that. But when you're, you know, when you're living and in another place and you're not exposed to that, it's almost like, you know, ignorance is bliss. You have no idea what's going on. And then when you learn about it, to be able to go and be a part of the solution um, is so amazing. So are you trying to open more places like that? Yeah, that's that's actually, we, we want to open places all around the world. <laughs> so for now, the one in Costa Rica is up and running. We have a team of people. We have an amazing team of different background people from Costa Rica, people from other countries. And uh, the next step is we are going to open one in Tenerife in the Canary Islands. That uh, This is one island in the south of Spain, like pretty much close to Africa. And um, also in our future, near future, hopefully, we want to open one in California. So let's Ooh. see how it goes. <laughs> and where in California would you do it? Do you know? Yeah. We, we have a lot of... Um, we Our first project in California started in Monterey Bay. So Ooh. Monterey is definitely in our target. And I would say that is one of the most biodiverse areas, uh, like marine areas in, in California, because the upwelling the, there is there. And, you know, there is a lot of whales, there is a lot of invertebrates, kelp. So 
that would be definitely an amazing place. But of course, we are not there yet, but yeah. we are going through it. <laughs> I love that. And so in terms of um, whales and dolphins, um, do we know, do we have any statistics or numbers around um, how many of them are affected by, you know, all of this garbage and fishing line and stuff like that? Yeah, there, there are different statistics. I, I believe the last one I read, it was like a, every year there is like over a thousand whales that got entangled in, 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 fishing, in fishing nets, in fishing, in ghost fishing. But, uh, but the truth is that I, it's very difficult to know because again, the ocean is too big. It's, it's massive. So every time for, for us, every year we, we rescue between three to five sea turtles and between one to three cetaceans that could be dolphins, whales. So it's happening all the time. Like uh, actually, like a, a, a month ago, we, there was a, um, and this is the, the, the real hard part is like many times we try to do something, but it's impossible because oh, those yeah. animals, the last time we went to the open ocean, that was like two months ago. I remember we were um, monitoring the, the spinner dolphins. The spinner dolphins are like a massive congregation of dolphins, like thousands of them. And we were like monitoring and taking some photo identification. And when I was in the water, all of them passed through. And then I was hearing like one very loud dolphin. And when it came close to me, I saw it has like a plastic uh, rubbing the mouth. So it was unable oh. to eat or do anything. But it's impossible, of course, to, to, to keep it next to you because it's so fast. So disappear. We couldn't oh. do anything. That is so heartbreaking. Oh, my God. So what, and so what are other things, like, is there other ways of cleaning the plastic out of the ocean? I've seen, you know, I've seen some ideas out there, but is there, or monitoring like fishing line or cleanup, is the ocean just too large to be able to do that? (laughs) This is, actually, this is a million dollar question. The ocean is too large to clean, that's for sure. I think the, 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 the real solution is to stop polluting right now. Like we, we really need to make a change. The plastic is a real problem in the ocean. There is plastic in the in the Marianas Trench, uh, 11,000 meters under the water. Like how, how we are going to collect that? I have no clue. But the truth is that there is more and more community involvement. There is more in, initiatives about cleaning the ocean. And yeah, I think... I think there is a solution. That's why I created a nonprofit organization to to save the ocean. But but at the same time, I think the, there is a lot of responsibility in the individuals. So hopefully, if people really change their mindset, uh, we can change the situation. In terms of like fishing and eating fish, what can you talk a little bit more of the impact of of fishing a little bit deeper so we understand that? Mm-hmm. Well. First of all, like uh, I don't know if you saw in the in the news, like uh, a month ago or less, there was a, a news saying that they found there is plastic in our blood. So for me, it has been like already. I stopped fishing five years ago. I'm coming from a family that uh, we live by the ocean, and everybody loves fish, and everybody eats fish, and I stopped eating it, and my family was in a shock. But the reason, one of the reasons why I stopped doing it is because I cannot. I I, I feel nauseous now because. I feel I'm eating plastic, so it, that scares me because, of course, it's, it's it's not healthy for us, but also it's not healthy for the for the ocean or for the fish. So we need to be aware of that. I think it's important that people understand that eating fish is, there is a lot of chances of being eating plastic. So we need to reduce that because we don't know what is the impact of eating plastic. So this is one, but also the ocean give provides with fifty percent of the of the oxygen that we breathe. So. We need the fishes to keep all of that uh, chain of production of um, 
creel and all of the the, the the you know the, the ocean is, is creating oxygen and it's a chain so if we kill the fishes we kill the oxygen too so we need the oxygen and especially now that we are in the middle of a pandemic with the covid and everything we understand how important is the ocean and the, the environment in general for us so we should stop fishing in the rate that we are doing it and i'm coming from a country that is Spain and is the top five is between the top five countries that most fish around the world. So I'm I'm really I'm really pissed off with my country in that and but I'm also trying to work on that part. Yeah, and it seems like it's even beyond your country because like if local people that lived by the sea ate the fish, you know, just that they needed, you know, to survive and then other places where they weren't living by the ocean weren't eating fish, there'd probably still be harmony. But it's really, it seems like you said earlier, it's like the fact that fish is such a commodity and you could get sushi all over the world and and fish all over the world, you know, it's like the over the overfishing. I I even my son even has a book on it and it talks about it talks about the whole life cycle and how um you know, when you take too many fish out of the ocean, it creates a real imbalance that really affects the food web that even goes to land animals and food and vegetables and 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 also a loss of marine life um, and things like, you know, sea turtles and coral and things like that. And so, you know, I, I think it's like you said, it's like if you're eating locally, you know, and eating things that naturally occur, if you live by the sea, it's different. But it's like, you know, there's just this like, it's almost, it's like factory farming and factory fishing. Um, and, and the other thing, the other reason I don't eat fish is not only just because of the overfishing for me is probably the number one thing, but also um, beyond plastic, the levels of heavy metals like mercury um, that are found in fish because the water is so polluted. And so I've treated a bunch of people that had really high levels of mercury in their blood and we couldn't figure out what was wrong with them and then did a blood test and found out it was mercury. And um, the few people that I've treated with this all ate sushi regularly, like more than twice a week. Um, and one it's, of the, one yeah. of them is from Hawaii. So she's been eating, you know, sushi and her mercury level was off the charts. And so it's a real thing, you know, and mercury is a neurotoxin and um, it's something else to be aware of, but it, it's yeah. just that the overfishing just seems like such a huge, such a huge issue. It is. And as you were saying, also the heavy metals is, is also connected with another problem in the ocean that is the, the underwater mining that is creating a lot of uh, imbalance and, and many fishes are like full of metals, heavy metals, and there is no real, real control. But as you said, I think we should support like companies or in industries that are like going through the idea of making things seasonal and local. Because if you are in the middle of the, if you are like 1,000 kilometers from the ocean, doesn't make sense that you are eating sushi every day. Exactly. As you said. So I hopefully that's, that's a, you know, there's a bunch of good messages that you're giving, but hopefully that's a really good takeaway, you know, and that's something that I'm really passionate about is living in harmony with nature. And, and, you know, one of the biggest pieces of that is eating food that is naturally available and grown in the area that you live um, and obviously that is seasonal. And so if you're consuming, you know, if you live in like a super cold climate and you're eating 
oranges and a lot of fruits and cold foods, you know, it's usually creating somewhat of an imbalance in your system. It's like when you live in a hot tropical place, then you're eating those kinds of foods, you know? And so I think that, you know, as the more that we understand that living in harmony with nature is going to heal us and and give us the most optimal, vibrant health. Um, And that when we do that, it, it extends out into the environment you know, and helps heal the ocean and, and heal our whole um, agricultural system. Because also, you know, in the United States over, I mean, factory farming, which is um, over farming and treating these animals extremely inhumanely is another, uh, has caused another huge imbalance um, in the soil and um, the environment. And it's a, another really sad piece. So that's a, so I love that. That's a really good point is like eating locally and seasonally. I, I think and there is just an, another touch of this is there is a social problem with this because for when I go to the supermarket, for example, let's say in Madrid, and I'm going to buy um, tomatoes. So it's, it's cheaper to buy tomatoes from Africa or from South America than buying tomatoes from the South of Spain in Madrid. And doesn't make any sense. The, the reason of that is because in other countries like Africa, Maybe there is no regulation for the workers and they don't get paid and they are slaves or whatever. So if everybody consumes um, locally and seasonally, we are going to avoid a lot of social problems as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's that's such a great message. I, I love that so much. Um, so let's talk about one. I, I really would love to talk about Michelle Klusman. Can mm-hmm. you tell her story and what she's doing? Michelle is such a warrior woman and we met her in Costa Rica and she she was she, she came to Costa Rica to to start a new life and and she she loves the whales. Actually when she came to Costa Rica she she didn't she didn't see the whales yet so she came with us one day in the boat and she saw them and she got super inspired. And also when she watched our documentary Entangling Costa Rica she I mean, she become to a very important person for us because it was like, guys, I'm going to help you. I'm going to create a crowdfunding and I'm going to walk the the trial, uh, the crest trial in the United States, going from North Mexico to South Canada, six months walk trail. And I'm going to raise uh, awareness and money for, for your mission and, and I'm going to help you. And she's making it. She's making it. It's, I think it's in her second month uh, walking through the mountains. So I, I'm in contact with her like every week. I talk to her a little bit and she was telling me that she's enjoying the experience a lot. And and yeah, and she's helping us to raise money to keep trying to, to save whales and to understand more about the migration of the whales. Because actually what Michelle is doing, she's following the migration of the whales because the whales that we see in Costa Rica, they go to the North Hemisphere to eat because they spend like three months in Costa Rica where there is no food for them without eating. And then they go to the North Pole and they eat for for another three months. So that migration is the biggest migration in the in the animal kingdom. And uh, well, Michelle is is joining the migration from the mountains. I love that. That is such an amazing story. And so Ben Ben Kane, who who you guys met, who connected us, who who works for us as well, shared her story with us. So we have been donating food to her along her way. I think a few mm-hmm. times. Um, and I'm, we really would love to support her. So can you let everybody know, how can we donate 
we have a platform that is called uh, www.entanglingcostarica.com. That's our in, uh, platform from in Oceana where you can see a lot of information. But there is another platform that is specific for Michelle uh, campaign that uh, the crowdfunding goes to the same box. So it's to support in Oceana. And it's called jointhemigration.com. But I'm going to send this link to you afterwards. So maybe you can put that at the we'll bottom of the... We'll post it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we'll definitely and, post it. And yeah, I mean, there is many ways to support this. Maybe just going to work with Michelle and, and, and you know, keep her moving because she has still four months ahead uh, that she needs to finish. So like any any kind of motivation, support at any any point, like what Urban Remedy is doing is amazing because I know Michelle has been posting some stories about uh, the food that she's receiving from you guys. That's incredible. And yeah, I'm looking at myself. I'm looking forward to go to, to California to join Michelle. I'm going to do that maybe next month. And also to try your food. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Yeah, we want, are you guys, and so you guys are walking, she's going to be in California then. Uh, well, she's walking all the way North California, right, uh, Michelle, and I'm just going in and out because, you know, I need to move a lot for the yeah. project. So I want to join her for one, just one or two days, not six months, so just to, <laughs> to have the experience. I love that. Well, I hope I can meet both of you in person. I'm so inspired uh, by everything you're doing. It's it's truly amazing. Seriously, I like I said when I watched the film last night. It for, you know it's always hard to watch um, an animal entangled because it's just you want to help them, and you know they're just such beautiful creatures. So, what you guys are doing and your mission is so beautiful and so inspiring and so needed and really helps to put life into perspective. You know, we get so busy and, you know, working and like trying to just get our lives going and get in the hustle bustle of, you know, daily life. And then you, you see something like that and it really reminds you of what is important and how important it is, the choices that we make. I always talk about voting with your dollars when it comes to food. And this really goes into the same thing. It's like, when you're eating local seasonal food you and you're not buying fish, you are voting with your dollars. And it is a way, you know, you might not be able to go to Costa Rica or do something like that, but it is sending a, mes- a bigger message to the industry. So it's so important. Can you give us like, what would be your t- other top, like three or five things that people that are listening can do to help with what you're doing or things that they can do in their daily life that can make a change or make a difference? Yeah, I, I kind of start with, uh, well, I mean, of course, I need to start talking about single-use plastics. I think we are in the in a position where we don't need them anymore. So every time we go to fast food industries, maybe if, if they are using single-use plastic, just try to avoid it as much as possible because it's not necessary. And sometimes the management of the single-use plastic when it comes to the bin is not perfect and it goes to the ocean at the end. Uh, also, I would say like, as I said, like I, actually, you said better. Like uh, being in harmony with 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 wherever you live and trying to to consume locally and seasonally, that's super important to change the world. If everybody do that, we will be in a very different situation. And if you are in a person that wants to take action and and you have um the the budget for it, I would recommend you to join our marine conservation center in Costa Rica to join one expedition and come to have the experience and to get trained in marine conservation. We give a lot of uh, solutions and, and and tools to to support the ocean and also i would say that um i am i am partially vegetarian um i wouldn't say i'm vegetarian because i'm coming from a, a carnivorous family but i reduce a lot the meat consumers like meat and fish so i think 
I think we we should all try to reduce that. Uh, for me, when I eat meat now, it's like my day. It's like I make a ritual almost. <laughs> so I appreciate it because it's a lot. It's a lot coming from the world. So it takes taking resources out. And then finally is um, just go to wherever you are. If you have a river or the ocean, go and look at around if there is trash and try to make a cleanup. That make, is making you feel better probably afterwards. And also it's making the world a, a better place. So. I love that. Those are all really beautiful, simple things that people can do. And I, I, I'll add, like, if you are eating meat, you know, really, just like we're saying, like, eat locally and seasonally, you know, make sure that the meat that you are consuming um, is hopefully organic and pasture raised and humanely raised and not coming from factory farms, because that's another, 100%. you know, it's very similar to what's going on with the with what's happening in the ocean. Well, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. And again, like such an inspiration, everything you're doing. And I, I can't wait to meet you in person. And I am very personally inspired to come to Costa Rica and and come to your your center because what a what a wonderful vacation. You get to be in an absolutely gorgeous location and you know, helping support such an amazing cause and learning more about it. It's probably a, an amazing place to bring kids to inspire them as well. 100%. We have a space for you. We have a space for your family. Came whenever you want because you are going to love it. Oh, I know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding. I'm, I'm like, this is my next vacation. I'm definitely planning on coming. Amazing. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so, so much, Carlos, for educating us on this. And again, um, absolutely amazing work. So inspiring. And um, we're going to put a link um, how people can support you and your mission. And we will definitely be big supporters of your, you in the future to come. So thank you. You are already being a huge support. So thank you so much. And we wait for you in Costa Rica again. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika and I'm wishing you a beautiful day.